Hey, folks, I'm out today for Passover, but we want to give you a little bit of a taste of something amazing that we do here at Daily Wire. It's a show I do called The Search, in which I sit down with some of the most interesting people across the globe. And honestly, these folks are from all sides of the political spectrum. And we just sit at a restaurant or a coffee shop and we just chat about life. I had the opportunity to sit down with Russell Brand, who's one of the most fascinating people in public life right now. It's, a, it's I think, a really riveting conversation. Here's what that sounds like. So again, I think that goes to the fundamental human good, meaning that if, if, the, if the, you know, the idea of epistemic humility, that you should, you should epistemological humility, that you should, you should be you know, humble in how you approach issues, and maybe you could be wrong, yeah. I totally agree. Uh, and that, that, I think, is an issue, as I say, sometimes of morality, but very often of pragmatism. You just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I mean, there, there are limits to that. So, for example, you wouldn't say, you know, uh, a person who is holding a slave. Well, no, no problem. I mean, that he's living how he wants to live. There are certain fundamental values that overrun your, your, the sort of cultural, uh, the, the sort of global libertarianism. And yet that, that is an example about. of a value that uh, contemporaneously to the construction of these ideologies was literally accepted as ordinary. So, it's, so the, I mean, not, not to get into the sort of biblical analysis of slavery, um, but one of the I think most honest ways to read the Bible is as a document that was given to a particular set of people at a particular time, meaning that you have to look at what it's attempting to transform. Meaning if you look at the slavery and the society surrounding, it's a much more liberalized version of slavery that's in the Bible and therefore a step toward the abolition of slavery, which is exactly how it's been read by you know, every abolitionist preacher in the, in the 19th century, it's been read by... What do you the, mean, Israelites, Egypt stuff? Uh, well, I mean, yes, I mean that. And also, I'm, even the, the scriptural, you know, Injunctions with regard to you own a slave. How long do you keep the slave? The slave do you like, the, for example, and not to get too specifically biblical, but there's there's a uh, there's a whole section in the Bible where it talks about you are uh, your your master servant, and seven years go up. At the end of seven years, you are automatically freed. Right? You can't have a term longer than seven years in in the Bible, uh, and you are given a choice: do you want to stay with your master or do you want to leave? And so the Bible says that if you want to stay, then we take an awl and we put it through your ear and we give you essentially an ear piercing. Okay, so it's, it's a punishment. The idea is that you should have gone free. There's something wrong with you if you decide to stay in, in bondage. That's as opposed to the Code of Hammurabi. In the Code of Hammurabi, it's the opposite. If, it, if, an escaped, if a slave attempts to escape and then is returned to the master, then the master puts the awl through his ear to demonstrate that he owns the slave. So in the Bible, it becomes a flip scenario where it's trying to encourage freedom. And again, it's speaking to a culture in which slavery is commonplace. And so the most honest way to read the Bible is to look at it as both... A, an, an eternal guarantee in particular areas where it's speaking to basic human nature and also as a transformative document to the customs of a time because any document that you give is transformative to the customs of yes, the time. Yes, I can't yes. speak the language of astrophysics to people living in, in 1500 BCE. Mm-hmm. Right, so so that, that I think is a, a... So it has to be simultaneously allegorical while taking into account that it has practicality. Com- contemporary Yeah, and also you have, to, and, and you have to apply human reason to it in the sense that what you're looking at very often is issues of human nature versus inerrant human nature, right? Human nature just exists. So, for example, do not murder is an all-time rule, right? That's not a transformative rule where murder is really common, so we're trying to minimize that. It's like, no, human beings want to murder, you're not allowed to murder. That's an all-time rule. As opposed to certain rules that are obviously an attempt to curb the worst practices of the time, maybe in pursuit of something better down the road. And so that's hard. I mean, it takes human reason to apply to it, and this is, yeah. why, this is why Judaism has, you know, an entire corpus of... of of laws and regulations that are deterministic on this. You know, I think that the, the thing that, you know, as a partisan of Judaism, the thing that I say that Judaism brings to the table, and I think that Judaism and Christianity come at it from, from opposite sides, and I'll make the case for, for Judaism, obviously. Uh, is, <laughs> no is, way. Is, yeah, exactly. I shot I'm her. leaving. Spoiler alert. Spoiler I didn't alert. come here exactly. for Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> is that um, what, what Judaism is really about, and you, you mentioned the commandments, mm. and you kind of said, you know, there's the commandments and there's making God real in your everyday life. 
that's what the commandments are supposed to do. So yeah. what Judaism says is that you are a you are a human being with the capacity for great good and the capacity for great evil, right? You have literally yeah. the Yetzir yeah. Hara and the Yetzir Hatov. You have a desire for good and you have a desire for evil, and these two things are battling in you literally at all times. And what your job is to do is, regardless of what you believe, you do the thing. The thing that is in front of you is the thing that you do. Right? So we have this arcane set of rules, and this arcane set of rules is made to reify the presence of God in your life. And even if you don't recognize that's what it's doing, by you doing these things over and over, you're cultivating virtue through action. So it's, it's like you reach God by doing the thing, whereas I think that Christianity almost through comes at it backwards. and through ceremony. Right, exactly. Through your behavior. Through ritual, through, through, right, ritual. through all these things. And, and Christianity comes at it. Do you do that speaking Hebrew chanting? <laughs> I mean... Yes, but it wouldn't be entertaining to anybody. Uh, and then uh, you can't do it. You do that as part of your life. Could you reckon you could have been a rabbi? Uh, I mean, there was a time when I was interested in being a rabbi, right? Coming out of high school. Sure, all one, aren't you? Uh, in, a in, in a way, I mean, I have a lot of lot of you know young Orthodox Jews who listen to the show for sure. But it's and and I love studying the Bible and and that and, is where you would go for guidance. You know, if it came to it, if it comes to a crisis with your children or a crisis in your marriage or a crisis in your heart. You're going to Judaism, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, in, in my understanding of Judaism, obviously, because mm. who else's would, would apply? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, um, you know, I think Christianity comes at it from the other way, and there's a reward in it, and there's a risk in it. The, the reward in it, Christianity says you believe the thing, therefore you do the thing. Judaism says you do the thing, therefore you believe the thing. Wow. Right, so Judaism... You take the prescription, and you will experience God. Right. Christianity, experience God, experience Christ and because in your you're heart doing now, that, then you'll do the good thing. You do the right thing. Right. And so the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the problem, cool. the, the reward of that is that the access point in some ways for Christianity is a lot easier, right? You experience a transcendent moment, yeah. and now the transcendent moment is supposed to animate your life. The danger is transcendent moments disappear real fast, right? You have a transcendent moment, and right now you're feeling God, and then five minutes from now, you're not feeling God, oh. right? I mean, if that's the message of, of the book of Exodus, where they receive the, the, tour, the, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, and five minutes later, they're building a golden calf, right? The transcendent <laughs> moment ends, you're building a golden calf. You and idiots! So, right, we're not listening. Exactly. Well, no, it's this now. It's this, it's this, I think we're going to go with the golden cow. Yeah, exactly. What the Talmud <laughs> I've just explained to you? Exactly. So, the, the, but I think that, you know, the, the best advice, in, uh, and I think that, that gap has been sort of closed in the sense that Christianity then re-ritualized a lot of things, right? Christians still go to church, even if they're not feeling it that day, or, mm -hmm. or they still are, are enjoying to give charity, even if they're not feeling it that day. All but discipline is this. All discipline is this. But So I think that, you know, when it comes to raising kids, to get back to the question you asked earlier, mm. it, it's not enough to provide kids with kind of general principles. You have to give them a thing to do and a purpose and a role to play every single day. I'm very big into the idea that human beings have roles. I don't think that the idea of human beings without roles really exists. I think that a human being living on a desert island by himself is not free. I think he's the greatest prisoner of all. The, I mean, ask anybody who's been put in solitary confinement how free they are, right? Even if, even if there were no boundaries, even if there were no walls, even if there were no doors, right? You would just, you're living on a desert island, you're not free. You're not, you have to have a role and purpose. a thing to do in life. You have to have a purpose and you have to have a meaning. And that comes with rules, right? That's the uncomfortable part. The purpose comes with a set of rules that, generally speaking, allow you to best achieve that purpose, but on average. I mean, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule, right? There are always going to be a group of people for whom the rules are really, really tough, and it's asking a lot of them, and that's yeah. a real challenge. And we as a society have to say, okay, well, the rules still apply, but we understand that you're having a really tough time with the rules. I think one of the things that we've done as a society, however, is we've taken the people to whom the rules are the toughest to apply, and we've said, well, because it's very hard for this person to apply this rule in their life, the rule should just be obliterated, because the, the rule is very uncomfortable for people. And, I think, if I may yeah, interject sure. at this point, Ben, that the values and principles have become have been lost and abandoned and subtly replaced by very broad but compelling and somewhat insidious ideas derived from rationalism, such as 
individualism, progressivism, materialism. That I agree with all of this. I totally agree with this. I mean, in the, so there's a great book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. I've cited it a lot. Um, and it's, I think, the most important book written in the last 10 years. Uh, he, in which he traces the rise of radical individualism at the beginning of the, of the 19th century, like tail end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. And what he says is that the way that people interacted with the world before, and this goes back to what we were talking about with children, how you have to civilize them, is that who you are, who Russell is, who I am, it's not what I feel inside me. That's really not who I am. Who I am is my, how I interact with the world, how I interact with the institutions around me. This is what helps create me, shape me, and make me who I am. Mm. And so what I feel on the inside of me is significantly less important than what I do and how I act in the world around me. And in the early 19th century, there was a real move, a romantic move, right, toward the, the place of, of real truth is the place inside of you. Mm. And so if the, if the rest of the world does not mirror back at you what you believe about you, the rest of the world is an imposition on you. Institutions and rules are an imposition and they hurt you. So it used to be that for thousands of years, the idea was rules and institutions protect you, they guide you, they give you purpose, they bring down the wisdom of the past and they help you accept you know, what, what the world is. And yeah, there's room to stick and move and we should change the rules and the rules are bad, but the rules exist. And also some of those baronial and feudalistic states may have been somewhat exploitative. You know, from 100%. agriculture onwards, oh, the oh. possibility for exploitation oh, radically increases. And you can also, I believe, see the temptation to uh, further sanctify the intimacy of the experience of God within because that is ultimately where this experience will be felt. I completely agree with you that if I'm sitting around on my own saying, oh my God, I'm having this transcendent experience of unitary bliss and everything is love and then I go out and spit in the street and all I think about is whether or not find me sexually attractive <laughs> my experience of God is not very valuable it's not being transmitted it's not functional that it has to have utility that I have to have a set of values that are applicable in this world that I have to have duty that I have to have responsibility I recognize that but when I listen to you and your obvious understanding and uh, devoutness to your faith I wonder if it's even conceivable to envisage a Ben Shapiro without that and and and, and how you what your understanding is of people like you said like those rules that we're affording you know people that don't have have access to those rules or access to advantage. Or feel marginalized by the rules or whatever, right. yes. Right, yeah. So I wonder, like, that. see, I, I've got this hope, do, uh, and do you share it, that all of us that are devout will at some point align necessarily because God is real, because God is real. So we will naturally arrive at the point where where the, the, the universals are expressed service of others uh, acceptance, gratitude, love duty, these things will come through us to a point where all of the ephemera and you know as you say pragmatism which I, I recognise these things are real, I have lived without means before so I know what it's like to not make, be able to make the world do what you want it to do these things will become somehow secondary because isn't that the primary spiritual argument is it Ben I'm asking, the, the primary spiritual argument is whilst our conduct is informed by this intimate transcendent experience we we are prioritizing you know and our behavior, we are prioritizing it that is our ultimate yes, reality uh, yeah. our ultimate reality is god it's ineffable we only experience a tiny a tiny amount of all potential realities but we feel this thing that's going to override our lust it's going to override our greed it's going to override our override our ego and, and and i feel that my optimism you know as opposed to that your um, uh, declared pessimism is that if i do my best as a spiritual man it's going to make the world better I mean, yes, but, it, it, you know, again, I, th I think spirituality almost like, you know, 
a damn a, a damned body of water, right? It's this huge damn body of water with enormous kinetic power, right? It's gonna when you unleash it, it's gonna it's gonna be overwhelming. The question is, can you unleash it in channels that are going to generate actual useful power for people, or does it just kind of spill over? Does it diffuse? Does it evaporate? What you do with your spiritual power does require a set of channels in order for that to in order for that to move. I mean, the, the, the way that I've started to think about, you know, the, I keep going back to what is the ultimate purpose of human life. Yeah. You know, the the way that I like to think about it, and I think that because I, because I think it's true, because I'm always right, of course. Um, but it's but it's. If you go to a cemetery and you look at the headstones, that's the purpose of human life. Every headstone says the same thing. Beloved father, beloved brother, beloved mother, rabbi, priest, right? Particular roles, teacher, right? Things that, that, other, that you did, roles that you filled for other people. You know what it doesn't say? How you felt about yourself. It doesn't say any of that crap on a, on a tombstone. Because guess what? Nobody remembers that stuff. That's not the stuff that mattered about you. What you felt was not what mattered about you. What your relationship was with the world and the roles that you filled that the world needed you to fill. That's that you were, by, by the way, forget about God for a second, that you were built by evolutionary biology to fill. Right? Those roles are vital. And if we deprive ourselves of those roles, which I think is what we've been steadily doing, is we, those roles originally were developed. If you don't want to talk about God, let's not talk about God. They were developed by evolutionary biology and culture, which is a form of evolutionary biology in the end. If, if you, they, they were developed by these things in order to mitigate against disease, death, famine, right? All of these things were built. You were a father because you were, you were designed in order to create children and then protect those children and protect your wife. This is what you were created to do, right? Evolution has driven you to do this thing, which is why it's common across societies. These are the, you know, the, the same thing is true of, of being a husband. The same thing is true of being a person who's curious about the world and, and seeking to create. P human beings have a natural propensity to create. Why? Because, again, creation allows you to provide more resources for your family. It also allows you to to retain information for the future, right? All of these things are, are innovation, right? These are, these are roles that human beings fulfill. And when you fulfill those roles, this is what makes life worth living. And so any system that destroys those things is a problem. Well, by becoming so, uh, my, my favorite Bible verse lately has been a uh, Bible verse that takes place in, in Deuteronomy where it says, Jeshurun got fat and kicked. And basically the idea is, that Jeshurun being uh, another name for, for Israel, uh, the people of Israel, that we get fat and we kick. What, what it means is we get pretty self-satisfied, right? Death is far away. Disease is far away. All these things are far away. We don't need any of these roles anymore. We can explode all of these institutions. Do we need fathers in a society where, where you know, somebody else can fill the bill, where, where money can come in and fit that bill? Do we need teachers in a world where you can just, you know, kind of do what you want and, the, and you'll be taken care of? Do we need any of these roles? And the answer is on a material level, no, you don't actually. You don't actually need those roles on a material level anymore. But guess what? Human beings were constructed to fulfill those roles, and I think one of the reasons you're seeing such chaos among men who feel completely lost, high levels of suicide, high levels of, of alienation, and among young women who are not engaging in, in, I think, relationships that they feel are fulfilling. And you see, like, there was this, this video that was going around, if you saw this video from um, uh, a podcast uh, called Whatever, of this, this young woman, and she uses the word like about 27 times in, in the course of about 45 seconds. But what she's saying is she's talking about, I hate talking stages. She's, talking stage is the worst. I had to look it up. I'm too old. Apparently, a talking stage is, is something that the youngins are doing in terms of dating where they don't know whether they are dating or whether they are just hanging out or whether they're having sex or what, it, what exactly they're doing. And she feels obviously very dissatisfied with the situation. And the answer is you, you, we as a society exploded how these institutions are supposed to work. And then, of course, people feel chaotic and they feel lost. That those institutions are really, really, really important. There used to be an actual way that things were done. And those things were not just expressions of practicality. They were expressions of practicality because they were expressions of the human heart. And when you destroy those things, and when you liberate people, 
in very in a lot of cases you're actually just releasing somebody outside of a spaceship and telling them to breathe. I mean, there's without a breathing apparatus. Like, okay, you're free. You don't have anything to, to rely upon. There's nothing impeding you. Also, there's there's no air. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the big things that's happened here. Alrighty, folks, if you want to watch that entire conversation, you have to be a member over at Daily Wire Plus. So head on over to dailywire.com slash Ben. That's dailywire.com slash Ben. Become a member at Daily Wire Plus. Have a wonderful weekend. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say mRNO to mRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers lifetime quality commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DAILYWIRE.